Welcome back. You're watching Stock Picks. Today we unpack AB InBev, Afrimet, and Zeta. That's with Peter Armitage from Anchor Capital. Peter, good afternoon to you. Thank you so much for your time today. Good afternoon. Wonderful, Peter. Uh, maybe we can start off by going ahead with the first uh, stock. You have gone with AB InBev today. Talk to us about why. Yeah, so AB InBev is an interesting one. I think the, um, the, a lot of people might be familiar with the Bud Light controversy over in the US. Mm. And that created a huge political divide. And Bud Light sales went down 25% in the US. So the price has subsequently come off 20%. Bud Light's 10% of the business. So the price, we think, is overreacted. Um, and before that, Anheuser-Busch is trading at quite low operating margins because of all of the, um, the inflation and anomalies created by the Russian-Ukraine war. So we think that will normalize. So the business itself, we think, can grow profits quite nicely over the next few years. And it's trading at a very attractive multiple. So, you know, a global beverages company, um, SAB is part of that. So South Africans will be familiar with that portion. It's only about 5 or 7% of the business. Um, but great quality, long-term business, trading low price, low margins, and hit with some negativity, which we think is overdone in the share price. I think Bud Light has done some damage. Mm -hmm. They tried to repair it. But typically what happened in the U.S. is all the red or Republican states all kind of rebelled against uh, because the whole uh, gender issue is quite a political thing in America, and you mm -hmm. tend to find the Democrats and the Republicans divided on it. So they got themselves involved in a in a divisive political move um, which didn't count for them but it's I, you know, I think if you buy it at this price there's quite very low downside and i think it can come back quite nicely over the next six months it's very interesting uh peter i never expected this to be uh you know what would drive that ab in bev share price uh, down but we must talk about you know beer or uh maybe beer is what it is with uh, ab in bev even in tough economic times people still spend money on beer even if the selling price increases. It's a very interesting um, phenomenon. I'm wondering if, you know, um, that is what also makes this company so strong. Yeah, it's very defensive. Mm -hmm. And that's why these, you know, beverages companies tend to trade at nice multiples over time. I think if you're under a bit of economic pressure, um, you know, the amount of money you spend on beer is not that significant as a proportion. Well, it shouldn't be <laughs> uh, as a proportion of your disposable income. So, you know, it's not like people drink three beers instead of four beers. It tends to be quite resilient. And it's more discretionary spend. Other discretionary spend is likely to suffer first. Uh, you know, but America is its biggest market. America, Mexico, Brazil, South America. Uh, and those economies have actually been doing quite badly. It's not, I mean, sorry, doing quite well. Mm -hmm. So it's not really tough economic times for them. Interesting. Um, but, but inflation has been a big dynamic. Peter, I'm wondering from your perspective what we make of the fact that, you know, Gen Z doesn't like to drink beer. Um, it's something that we have uh, discovered over time that, you know, they prefer, I think, if, if alcohol at all, they would then prefer a cider of sorts. And AB InBev doesn't seem to really have too many ciders within its stable. I'm wondering if this is a growth opportunity for them. Yeah, so, I mean, they've got quite big exposure mm -hmm. to kind of next-gen drinks and uh, you know, they're right up there in terms of technology and developed their own brands and bought some brands. Um, the reality is the, you know, the, the brands that have been around for 100 years are still huge. So there might be a trend or slow growth, you know, like beverage beer volumes, it's probably flat. And it's not like they're going down 5 or 10%, uh, but there'd normally be 3 or 4% growth, and that's being taken up um, by kind of funkier drinks, so to speak. But they've got their, you know, they've got their fair share of that market as well. But it, it, it is an opportunity. 
It's very interesting there with AB and Bev and that story, uh, Peter. Let's talk AfriMed now because this is one that I have found to be a little bit confusing. In my mind, the AfriMed strategy was to move towards mining. But now we've seen this Lafarge acquisition. I'm wondering from your perspective if it, uh, you know, fits into uh, the, the conversation that we've been having around AfriMed for a while. Yeah, so I think um, if you look at Lafarge, a big portion of it is, is actually a mining company. You know, in order to make cement, you've got to have your own mines. They do a lot of aggregates. They do a lot of lime. Um, so Afrimat started life as a construction materials business, um, which again is, you know, if you, all the stone and all that, all that kind of thing that goes into building. Um, so a lot of, com they, they, so they've been mining the whole time, even if the end product was construction materials. Uh, they then went into iron ore and anthracite. And I don't think, you know, Lafarge, which is a cement and aggregates business, uh, they're certainly not outside of their circle of competence and their strategic vision. Um, it, it was a surprise to everybody because you expected the next move to be a mining company. Um, but as I said, Lafarge, a, a quite a high proportion of that business you would categorize as mining. You know, they've got to go and fetch the stuff out the ground in order to make the, the aggregates and cement. Very interesting, Peter. Talk to us about debt at Afrimat, especially post this acquisition. I do know that a part of the acquisition is that they would take on uh, Lafarge South Africa's debt. That's sitting at around 900 million rand. That is quite a bit. Yeah, that's in Lafarge. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, Lafarge in 2021 made 300 million rand of EBITDA. So running at a reasonable level, um, you know, the, that level of debt is higher, but still palatable. Uh, last year, they only made 22 million. So clearly, the debt, uh, you know, a large proportion of the debt is a shareholder's loan. Mm -hmm. It's not like there's some bank asking for the money. So, Afrimat are going to pay Lafarge back about 500 million of the 900 million. And Afrimat itself has got net cash on its balance sheet. Mm -hmm. So, I, you know, it's, it's certainly not putting Afrimat in a position where it's overly indebted at all. Mm -hmm. And part of the reason, you know, this Lafarge has got a net asset value of 1.4 billion. And they're buying it for a hundred million. So you know, I, I think the the relatively high debt levels and disappointing performance last year mm -hmm. has led to wholesome in Switzerland who own it uh, making a call to get out of it. And Afrimat have always been clever deal makers, and uh, they've they've consistently over the years been able to identify and find assets which, uh, with some operational expertise, that can create a lot of value. Out. Interesting. Peter, but talk to us about um, infrastructure spent in South Africa. Actually, yesterday we had PPC come out um, with a set of numbers. They say that they're relying or they're hopeful that South Africa will up its infrastructure spend. I'm wondering if, uh, you know, that may be a similar thing for Afrimat, um, especially considering this latest acquisition. And what could then happen to the construction materials sector in South Africa should governments not prop up their infrastructure spend? Yes, yeah, so I think the, um, the spend has been low. Uh, but there's certainly a lot of latent demand, and I think the priority has been trying to sort electricity out and the like. Um, but, you know, the way Afrimat have viewed it and the way they've communicated after the transaction is the spend is at a low level, um, but picking up quite nicely. There's a lot of sandal tenders out. Um, and, you know, I, I think the base case for them is electricity starts to be sorted out over the next 12 to 24 months. Remember, the private sector is spending a lot of money on uh, resolving electricity issues, which by itself is infrastructure spend. Mm -hmm. So there's quite a bit of money being spent. And they, they, 
they kind of they're not bargaining on a boom in infra- infrastructure spend. They're just saying that it's a necessity that government has to return to, you know, at least somewhere near normal levels over the next 12 to 24 months. And if it gets anywhere near, um, you know, 80% of where it was a few years ago, that's that's a scenario under which they think they can make money. It's amazing. We'll be watching that one, all crossing fingers there, Peter. Let's talk Zida now. Uh, this is the company that recently unbundled from Barlow World. Uh, why is this one on your radar today? So Zeta is an interesting one. It's uh, the you know your viewers will will uh, resonate with the Avis budget brand. Um, that's effectively the majority of the business. So they do car rental and and fleet leasing and various derivations thereof. Um, so this was part of Barlow World and Barlow World unbundled it. And Barlow World's got a big uh, a lot of big international shareholders. And suddenly they landed up with the Zeta share in their portfolio, which you know is. It could be 0.1 of their portfolio. So a lot of guys landed up being shareholders who didn't want to be shareholders in it. They didn't choose to be. Um, so lots of sellers over the course of the last 12 months. And it's resulted in, uh, um, you know, the share being very, very cheap. They, based on the half-year numbers, they should make about 3 rand 50 for the year. And the share price is trading at just over 10 rand. So it's about a 3p multiple. Um don't love the business. It's you know, you if it grows, you have to keep on reinvesting in cars. Mm-hmm. It's not particularly cash generative, um, but it's you know a long-standing, well-run business, um, operating very profitably at the moment, but suffering from a combination of South Africa's small cap woes, and the situation in which it found itself, where it got unbundled from Bala World into people's hands who. Um, didn't really know the business particularly well. So you've seen, I, I don't know the exact number, but 10 or 20% of the shielding in the business change hands yeah. over the course of the last month or two. Um, and, and I think a lot of it has just been, uh, you know, kind of smaller shareholders um, not having chosen to invest in it. It's in their portfolio, so they're cleaning out their portfolio without real reference to the underlying value of the business, which we think is probably 30 40% higher. I must ask you, Peter, you know, uh, one of the things Zida has come out to say that they're kind of banking on people's relationship with their cars and mobility kind of changing, uh, you know, more people moving on to leasing options. Do you think South Africa could turn into such a market where people don't necessarily want to uh, own their cars for six years or five years or whatever? And we could just keep, you know, leasing them out and a company like Zida would then uh, be well positioned. Well, ironically, I think that's what the market is already. Mm-hmm. You know, if you the, the average person who buys a car and finances it, at the end of the finance lease period, they generally have no equity left in the car. So they are, in effect, leasing it. Um, so it's really just changing the, the substance. The economic substance is not really changing. It's just having the contract with, uh, with Avis as opposed to having it with a bank. Interesting. Um, so that, 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 that is the market as we know it, and I think there is room for Avis to get more market share there. Well, be interesting to watch, uh, Peter. I like to own my car, so <laughs> wondering if um, that will ever change my mind. Well, Peter, um, as we do every week, retail investors, uh, we give them uh, some stock options. If you were a retail investor with some money lying around, uh, you know, in what order would you acquire these stocks that we've discussed today? So I think um, probably Afrimat first, then Anaza Bush, and then Zida. Right, interesting, interesting. And then also, term of the week, um, as we do every single week, this week we're talking indices, or, um, yeah, you know, NASDAQ, S&P 500, all of that. Help us understand exactly what we make reference to here, Peter. Yeah, so, I mean, I think just, just one of the things that people don't always fully comprehend, you, 
see these numbers coming across the bottom of your TV screen saying S&P, Dow Jones, NASDAQ. Um, so just a bit of education around that. So the S&P, which is probably the most relevant one to look at, that's, and you'll see it's called the S&P 500. So that's basically the biggest 500 companies uh, in the US, um, all in one index. So you do have um, some big companies, I think there's about six or seven companies, largely the big tech ones, Apple, et cetera, that make up about 20% of the index, um, but it's a good proxy for global stock markets. The US market is about 65% of global markets, and the S&P 500 gives you a share, if you bought that index, gives you a share in the top 500 companies in the US. So that's broadly representative of how markets are doing. Then on the other extremes, you've got the Dow Jones index. And now the Dow Jones, it's a Dow Jones 30. So that's only got 30 shares in it. Um, but I would advise people to largely ignore that. Um, it's the, it's the bellwether uh, index often quoted, but it's got a very strange and historic makeup going back many, many years. And it's a price-based index as opposed to a market cap index, which is getting quite technical. But um, it's based on share prices and not necessarily values of businesses. And it excludes a lot of the really big companies. So it's a, it's a mishmash of 30 uh, companies that are in an index for no particular reason, uh, if measured by an economic perspective. So, you know, this year you've, you've seen the S&P and the NASDAQ do really well and the Dow Jones lag behind. Mm. So that's that's one that isn't always representative of what's happening on the market. And then you've got the NASDAQ, mm. which is a newer index and it's a newer exchange, which is dominated by technology companies. So there you've got about 50% of that index in Apple, Amazon, um, Nvidia, Tesla, and a few others, Meta. Um, and that's, so, you know, year to date, the S&P is up around 15, while the NASDAQ's up around 30, because it's the tech companies that have done particularly well. So when you see those indexes coming across the, the bottom of your screen, NASDAQ, think tech uh, and big tech. S&P, think U.S. market as a whole. In mm -hmm. Dow Jones um, is, is, is not a particularly meaningful index. Well, Peter, thank you uh, for your time this afternoon. Always a pleasure catching up with you. Always invaluable. Thank you. Yeah. That was Peter Armitage from Anchor Capital with your Tuesday edition of Stock Picks.